Yeah, so the boring, boring week. Uh, nothing happened. Nothing at all. No, no news whatsoever. Hey, I, I heard there was actually a really big thing that came out today, actually. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw it, but uh, the biggest news of the week had to be the newest Field Notes edition. Oh, that's oh, right. right. Field Notes. You better you better tell us about that. <laughs> Please, go on. Uh, well, it, it, it looks really great. I, I think it, like I said, it's the biggest news of the week. So, um, not you know, it wouldn't take a whole lot for you guys to find a news release on it and uh, and you guys can fill yourselves in. Still made a paper though, right? I think so. Last last time I checked, that was the case. There's metal on this one for the first time. <laughs> this is like the first one that doesn't have staples in it. It's a very boring approach, I think. Hey. You know, paper, it's so old fashioned. <laughs> yeah. But I think there was some other company that had something to announce this week. It's sort of a fruity name. I'm not, it's, it's, it's right at the tip of my tongue. Like, Pineapple or something like that? Peach. Peach, that's it. No, no, wait, it's not it. Do you guys remember Peach? I don't know if you we ever talked about it, that that weird little mini social network thing. That app? Yeah. <laughs> it didn't last very long, did it? Like all of 24 hours. Exactly. Can't imagine why. Probably had a billion downloads, though. Yeah. It was actually kind of cool. I have to give them that. Um, but it just, I, I didn't really understand how they thought they were going to make a dent when they did show up on the market. It was just too late. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of uh, speaking of announcements, obviously the the big news is actually Apple's WWDC keynote address. That's it, Apple. Thank you. Oh, it's driving me crazy. I didn't know what you get. What that's what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that happened, and we are um, deliberately doing a show about it this time. It's not an accidental Apple podcast this time. It is. It's deliberately a reaction show because some of the news uh, pertains directly to photographers, which is very exciting. Um, and I'm sure we'll get to that. Um, but let's just sort of do a bird's eye view first of our general impressions about the keynote, because I discovered today on Twitter that um, my impressions were very different from some other people's impressions. And so now I'm kind of curious to see what you guys made of it. So, uh, yeah, what what did you think? Sort of a, a high level view of, of how the event went, how the announcements went, things like that. Well, all I know is that I was extremely jealous of you guys because I couldn't watch the keynote live. I was on a train uh, going to Madrid, so I kind of missed the all the fun, really, because I had to leave by the time right right around the time Craig was start getting started on iOS. Yeah, you left exactly as he was starting. <laughs> yeah, I missed all all the good stuff, but but you guys were kind enough to keep me posted over Slack. That's why we're here. So and I and I was scrolling on Twitter like a madman. So like a madman. I kind of got the the general impression. How many tweets per second? A lot, like like really a lot. Like like I think you know you can judge ba- what, uh, what what's going on in the world, especially if it's Apple, based on just the number of tweets per second that hit the timeline. But anyway, it would be kind of cool if their app actually had a like a live counter. Yeah, that you could you know like a <laughs> take a guess yeah. at what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I actually ignored Twitter for the first time. For what it's worth, I try. I shut it off. Usually, I follow along, but I shut it off this time. You know what? I did the same. Uh, well, I didn't ignore it, but I had it sort of in the background, and I wasn't looking at it as actively. Normally, I've got it. Uh, you know, I, I would have had it in split view um, beside a live stream or something like that. But this time around, I was uh, I was on my iPad, and I had you guys in Slack on the right side. I had, I think it was the Verge's live stream coverage in the middle, and then I've had the actual. Um, the live stream video from the Apple website floating right. in a picture in picture. Oh, ultra. Yeah. Ultra productive guy <laughs> on his iPad. Yeah, there. Was, I was wondering <laughs> how you were getting that stuff into Slack so quickly. Hi, that, yi, yi. That's how I did it. That's how I did it. <laughs> so do you guys think that was because it was just 
such a damn busy keynote. I mean, there was really literally no time to check Twitter or you would miss a couple really important things that they announced in the 10 seconds that it took you to. Yeah, I mean, if if you even blinked during this presentation, you would have missed something. It was just crazy fast pacing. Um, I don't I don't even know how they're going to do this going forward because they have so many platforms now. It's not even practical to, uh, you know, announce know. everything uh, in, in a two hour span of time. I think it's unsustainable, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There was just uh, like attention got so diluted between everything they announced. And some of those announcements were really important and they would have deserved quite a bit of time on any other keynote that I can remember. So to, to cram so much stuff together in a two-hour keynote, I mean, I get that they don't want to hold too many events uh, throughout the year because that kind of dilutes the attention as well, and you can you, yeah. you you cannot abuse that. So I get what I get why they're doing it, but but uh, at some point they're just gonna have to split the keynote in two, like maybe have one in the morning and one in the evening or something like that, because just to cram so much stuff together. It, it it not only takes away the fun, but it also makes it a lot harder to understand everything that was announced. And to digest it even, because like yeah. I, I just wrote an article that was trying to, you know, marshal my thoughts on some of the things that they didn't announce on stage, but that was still revealed during the keynote. And like it's it's difficult when there's so much information to parse. Like you you need time for it. I think they should split it by screen size the way Microsoft Office licensing works, you know, like anything bigger than a 12-inch screen gets its separate session <laughs> in the future. Food for thought, Apple, if you're listening to Candid. Well, clearly they're listening to Candid based on all of the announcements for photographers this week. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know what, we should dig into that because I think that's the main reason that that people are listening to this. They want to hear our thoughts. And by the way, thank you guys so much for being so quick to, <laughs> to draw our attention to the fact that uh, Apple did indeed inadvertently or quietly announced that raw support is coming in iOS 10, both for capture and for editing. Uh, we got a lot of uh, a lot of tweets, so we appreciate that. Called it. <laughs> I, I think Marius had to have the, the I, I think that that slide passed and he must have just seen that piece of information in the bottom left-hand corner on that slide because I think there was like a half hour delay between the tweets and when Marius noticed it. Right, but Marius is like our Neo. He... he watches he sees the matrix yeah <laughs> yo i was like a hawk i saw I, that as soon as the slide i was like whoa hit, there it is i thought you might have had an inside guy i was waiting for the inside guy to, to come out here and and you know I, I if that's the case i expect some more secrets to uh to filter our way yeah i've got german on speed dial <laughs> uh, but but seriously i mean that's that's very very big news for um for us you know, as, as photographers, but, um, just in general, I think it's a vote of confidence, um, from, from Apple's side, um, to, to the idea of making iOS a more uh, professionally capable platform. And we're probably going to talk a little bit more about, uh, the flip side of that, uh, specifically in the, uh, relatively small amount of iPad specific stuff that they talked about or showed off um, at the keynote. Right. Um, but, you know, on the positive side, raw support is a big deal. And the way that they're uh, implementing raw support is still a little bit mysterious. We're not 100% sure um, what it means. Um, but based on the, uh, the session videos um, that are available to developers and the sessions that went on, 
today. Uh, we have a basic understanding of it. It looks like it's going to be DNG raw support uh, in terms of the actual capture from the iPhone camera. Right. And uh, basically now third-party apps are going to be able to properly ingest and uh, edit raw files uh, as they see fit. And that's pretty great. That's so exciting. Yeah. I mean, we've been literally asking for this for over a year, yep. maybe closer to two, I would say. So yeah, it's 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 really exciting. And like you said, there are still a lot of unanswered questions and we'll, we'll need to see just how they're going to implement it because raw editing is a nightmare in and of itself because every company has its own proprietary um, raw file format. Well, that's just it, right? Is this, how are they going to deal with that? I, I suspect that what they're doing is actually not getting involved at all. They're just saying, look, you guys have your algorithms. You guys have your support for these raw files. Everyone, every man for himself, you guys wor worry about that. We'll, you know, we've we've built the platform for it, but you guys have to actually provide um, the logic for it. And I, you know what? I think that's fair. Rather than things like, uh, like on OS X, which is now Mac OS, um, where they provide system-level raw support for cameras and thus they're responsible for continually updating it. So my impression is that they're just saying, you know what, forget that. You guys deal with it. We'll just make sure it's possible. Well, if if we're being ambitious, though, if there's a company out there that can solve the raw file mess, is Apple, right? So what I would really like to see is beyond providing you know, basic OS level support for every proprietary raw file format uh, of every, from every manufacturer, you know, kind of like doing something similar to what they're currently doing with Mac OS. Uh, I would really like to see them sort of tackle the problem head on, as in, we're going to create a universal raw format or something like that. And if if there's a company that has the pull to do it in a way that would almost force camera manufacturers to adopt it, then it's got to be Apple, right? Yeah, but my, my concern is that we, we've seen Adobe try that with their D&G format, and they've actually been fairly successful. I mean, there are a number of camera manufacturers out there that do uh, encode their RAWs as DNG files. And Apple itself is already essentially made a vote of confidence toward Adobe because the iPhone RAW capture is in DNG format. So I think that right. they, from their perspective, um, that just seemed like it wasn't a, a battle that they wanted to fight. They said, look, someone else, uh, and someone respectable, I mean, we're talking about Adobe here. It's not like that's a tiny company. They have already worked hard for several years to develop this format, and um, I guess it's it's probably, uh, you know, I mean, everyone at Adobe is obviously celebrating now because if Apple puts their weight behind that format, then yes, you know, the, the uptake is probably going to accelerate. Um, and I, I think that's actually a better move on their part because, um, frankly, developing, uh, you know, a, a raw container format is complicated. And the fact that Adobe has been working on theirs for years saves Apple a lot of R&D effort that they can spend on the hardware side of things instead. Right. Like, how do we make mobile cameras better? How do we make mobile sensor technology better? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean. I was just being hopeful, but I agree with that, yeah. Whoa, 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 one second here. You said iPhone raw photo? Yeah, iPhone raw photos. That's part of it. So it's not just editing. Where? Like, where do I find that? Like, how do I get to the raw photo out of my iPhone? Well, you don't yet, but as of iOS 10, 
uh, presumably it will be an option in the settings to save. Ah, oh, see, I was going to bring this up. Like I was going to say here, I'm going to spitball something at the wall and say, guys, what do you want to bet we can get a raw format out of the iPhone 7? Anyway, boom, you beat me to it. So we can. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly the, uh, that's exactly the, the advancement that people are excited about on the capture side of things. And the best part is it's actually an API that's accessible to third parties. So now all third party camera apps can actually hook into the image capturing chain before any compression takes place and sort of deal with the files however they want to. So it's really, they're really making a more robust camera system um, from capture to editing, uh, which, which is great. Because again, the, the whole workflow is now basically um, prepared for professional apps to come into the space and actually provide um, tools that will be sufficient for, uh, you know, an actual workflow. Yeah. With one important limitation that I think is the elephant in the room. Um, but I just, before we get to that um did you guys have any other thoughts on like see from my perspective the whole raw thing is is weird for them a little bit on the capture side because i'm not sure that most of their audience will care make use of this yeah like this is actually i was i was surprised to see the capture side implemented as well well just brace yourselves for the next generation of rich color selfies <laughs> that's going to be awesome it's going to be no but i mean it, you, you just can't have one without the other i would say if you if you invest in creating the tools to edit raw pictures you have to give people the the tools to capture them i don't know how they could have done just the editing part even if it doesn't make much sense but yeah yeah that's fair too yeah, I, I think that's fair. And and the the high color, uh, the wide color gamut capture thing is going to be very interesting. Um, and I, I guess it means that any future devices that we see from Apple are going to support wide color gamuts, right? Because that seems, uh, it, it seems like something that they're pushing for. Right. Um, it's going to be strange for all of the people who don't have uh, Mac devices, though, because it it you know it's like this whole new dimension of. Uh, color that they can sell people on. Uh, and I guess that's something that they want to push as a meaningful reason to update. Uh, you know, for instance, those of us with older iPads or something like that. Uh, well, not, I don't have an older iPad, but just in general, if you have an older... Th those of me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those of me with older iPads. <laughs> um, that might be a meaningful thing, especially in the guise of, hey, now this is a photographer's tool with raw capabilities and the software's there. And it's going to take some time for all of this to settle in, but I, I think it's a very good sign that they've uh, gotten the ball rolling. Well, what was that elephant in the room? Because, you know, I know what it is, but let's enlighten people. Okay, so from my perspective, the elephant in the room is storage. Um, because 100%. Because right now, iPads in general have... Uh, too little storage, I think, to be practical for a professional photography workflow. And I know this because yeah. any and any wedding photographer who's out there listening is going, yeah, it's great. I can't wait to edit something on my iPad. But <laughs> one single wedding is going to produce, especially if you're shooting, you know, Sony like you guys are, or heaven forbid, like a 5DSR from Canon, you're dealing with like a lot of gigabytes of data from a single session. Forget about, you know, 
your entire library or anything like that. Like it's just, there's an entire storage section to this argument, uh, to this discussion that does not make sense yet. Because if I'm walking away from a session, let's conservatively say that I've got 50 gigabytes of photos. Now I have a 128 gigabyte iPad Pro. So assuming that I have no apps installed, no music on there, no video, nothing, I've got room to, you know, like half my storage is basically gone as soon as I've imported this one session's worth of photos. And as I edit, I might make some versions and some duplicates and things like that. So that's going to balloon outward a little bit. And then what? Like, am I am I waiting to upload 50 gigabytes to iCloud and then wipe it out from the iPad and then start again the next session or what? Like, it's, it's just right now there's no clear sense of how the storage side of the equation is going to work out. And it might be something as simple as the next generation of iPads are going to have way more storage. Or it may be something that we don't understand yet, or it may just be something that's never going to be as seamless as we're imagining it would need to be to support a professional workflow. So I'm not I'm not sure where Apple's mind is on that front, but it's obviously something that they've had to think about. So whatever solution they come up with, we don't know what it is yet. Right. Well, if if it were up to me, where I would what I would probably want to do is to keep the Mac as the master storage device. You know, so if you have yeah. all of your library, your picture library on the Mac, then you can use iCloud syncing to just download only the pictures that you want to edit on the iPad. And that way you don't, you don't need to keep so much uh, of your local storage, uh, you know, taken up by, by the pictures. Right. That would be uh, effectively a way to work around that problem. Yeah. And... Judging from what we've seen from Apple, I think that's something they would be quite open to to trying, I think. Yeah, and that would solve the problem in a sense. I mean, I'm imagining the Lightroom equivalent here because that's what we all use primarily. And in Lightroom, probably what that would look like is, you know, you import the session, you go through that initial culling process maybe, or you just generate smart previews and sync those up to... Uh, you know, it, it would be Creative Cloud rather than iCloud, but either way, you access them on your iPad, and then Smart Previews are raw files. They're just you know sort of compressed raw files, but any edit that you make on them is automatically applied to the main raw file when you get back to your machine. So in effect, you could have that workflow, yeah, and it would make a lot of sense because once you're done editing that particular session. You just unsync it and then it goes away from your iPad. Everything is still safely stored on your Mac at all times and it's problem solved. The only part of that that doesn't make sense is if you're on the go. And this is where I was looking forward to, uh, you know, especially adopting the iPad is when I'm not near my computer, when I can't offload footage to a Mac, right? That's That's the use case that I want improved. Yeah, I'm saying the Mac, but really what I mean is iCloud. As soon as you put your photos on your Mac, they're going to upload to iCloud. And that's where th- that's where your device is going to get them from. So your iOS device, I mean. Yeah. So basically your, your iPad would communicate with iCloud and then your Mac would sync the, any changes that you make with iCloud as well. But it's not necessarily a transfer of files between your iPad and your Mac. Yeah. I'm just, you know, the, the, the problem is like if I'm traveling somewhere and I don't really have access to data at all, then the iPad still doesn't make a very good uh, intermediary device for storing photos um, 
you know, when you pull them off your card. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because you'll just, you'll run out of room, right? And that's, I think that's what I would ideally like is some solution to that problem. Because right now, a lot of photographers are finding that even if they like editing on the iPad, even if they're, uh, you know, happy with that side of things, they still have to bring their Mac with them because they just can't get enough photos onto the iPad. Like it's not a practical system for uh, keeping track of your photos during a trip. Uh, and, that, and that's a big problem that needs to be solved before any kind of professional is going to really be able to adopt this. Um, and that's why I call it, you know, the big elephant in the room, because as much as we would like to celebrate these raw improvements, they are one step in a very long walk between where we are now and where we need to be in order for the iPad to be a serious co uh, competitor to a MacBook or a Surface Pro device on the go. Yeah. I don't have anything more to say because you nailed it. Well, we can move off then. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say like raw photo support does not make a professional workflow. Is what I was just gonna say. And then bang, there's Maria saying the same thing. But you know, there's a kicker. I was talking, or sorry, I was following uh, Bradley Chambers, a colleague of mine for uh, at Tools and Toys, and he had a Twitter rant there recently about um, Apple's like their free tier of iCloud photo library storage. Yeah. And like, like five gigabytes worth is, is free. You know, like you, you buy this thousand dollar device and then, or minimum thousand dollar device. And then here, you know, here, you here you go. Five gigabytes is what you get for free. Yeah. You could go down to the local shop and get like a $2 USB stick for five gigabytes or, 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 or sorry, you get $2, five gigabyte USB stick for that amount, right? So like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. anyway, there's the, uh, there's also that elephant in the room is that we're like, the entire thing is with, is held back still by Apple. All of the, um, all the balls are in their court. You know, there's a hardware issue when it comes to local storage. And then there's the backup iCloud's storage issue uh, on their end. Developers can't overcome that stuff. So I have a feeling I have a feeling that the iCloud story is not yet fully told, though, because it can't be. Because Yeah. And, and, and that's part of it, because, yes, five gigabytes is a terrible free a lot. Like that's just it's nothing. It's useless. Um, and I, I don't remember who it was, but also on Twitter, I was reading someone um, made the the obvious and very good, I think, suggestion of um, giving all Mac owners unlimited iCloud storage by default for their files and documents and things like that. Because if you're going to upsell based on a feature like, oh, your desktop and documents folders are now automatically in sync between la da 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 da. Well, I guarantee you that most people have more than five gigabytes worth of stuff in their documents yeah. and desktop. So are you out of the gate going to force them to upgrade their storage? Like as soon as they start up their Mac and set it up. That's the first thing you're prompting <laughs> them with. Like, hey, more money? Like, that's that's a shitty user experience. I cannot imagine that they would bring that to market, right? So I, I think the other shoe has yet to drop on the story of what's going to happen with iCloud storage. And that was that was super scary, too, because they were actually saying that they would delete stuff from your Mac, from your local hard drive. And don't worry, it'll all be safe in iCloud. Oh, right, right. I yeah, don't yeah. want them getting anywhere <laughs> near my hard drive. Seriously, especially after what happened with Apple Music, like people losing yeah. their entire music libraries because Apple just forgot to sync it or whatever. Yeah. Like that's, it's not a mistake that I feel comfortable, uh, you know, I, I don't trust them not to make that mistake. And I, I'm sorry, but the, the their past, their, their track record is just not good enough for me to leave the the entirety of my local hard drive 
for them to do with what they please. You know what I mean? How do you feel about uh, Dropbox's Project Infinite, on which is it's basically the same thing, but Dropbox is equivalent of it? I do trust Dropbox way more than I trust Apple for this kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's it's funny how big a difference that trust makes because uh, essentially they're they're selling the same thing here. I mean, Project Infinite is not available to the public yet, but it will function the same way. And uh, I'm I think I'm you know in agreement with you. I've never actually run into any problems with Apple Music or iCloud in terms of documents or missing things or anything like that. But um, in terms of who I trust more as a services company, I mean, Dropbox has certainly earned more of my trust. All of my business runs on Dropbox in terms of file sharing, in terms of uh, client file delivery and all that stuff. Like they've earned that trust. Right. iCloud and Apple in general on the services side of things just hasn't yet. And unfortunately, that's a hurdle that they have to conquer, uh, you know, in time. Basically, they've got to not screw anything up for a while and then people will start <laughs> yeah trusting them um, with with this kind of stuff but it's it's a difficult thing for them to solve I, I am glad that they're doing it like it's it's good um but yeah I'm, I'm with you I think there's going to be a lot of skepticism and it's going to take them a while to overcome that yeah so what other kind of updates were there I noticed a whole whack load of on you know on the device, photo changes into videos and oh the iPhone makes this cool thing which we were talking about with the GoPro stuff last week why don't you guys have at that because I almost yawned myself to sleep during that point I won't lie really you didn't find it interesting uh, not even in the slightest I just don't I mean well for, hang on forget about the moment stuff like the the auto making of mo like forget that but what about the uh, search. What about the you know face recognition and being able to do all the amazing things that Google Photos allows you to do? Because that's essentially what they did. Apple built Google Photos again. I, I do very very little processing of my photos after I, I import them into Lightroom and I edit them and I flag the ones that I like and that's it. I just basically remember generally I remember by date, which I haven't been shooting long enough to yeah. you know for that not to work. Right. Um, but there was an image just barely that I licensed out to somebody who happened to be a year prior than what I thought it was. So I can see maybe how it will in the long run be, uh, you know, more interesting. But at this point in time, like facial recognition, I don't know. Like I just, I don't put any of my stuff into Apple's apps or, or enough stuff into Apple's apps in order to take advantage of these features. And I guess other people are, and I'm my, I'm short-sighted on this, but at the end of the day, I was bored because like, I, I don't like, I don't find any of those photos improvements, um, I think they're all a gimmick, personally. I, I, this part, I don't know if I think is a gimmick because, again, the, the moment stuff, sure, absolutely, I give you that. But the searching and finding photos thing is huge. And we use Lightroom. So first of all, we are not the target audience for this because no. our catalogs live there. But we're talking about the average person for whom all of their photos... But, like, are people really... Like, they're going swiping through their photos and they're going to go, okay, I'm going to search for a dog. And because Apple is doing a whole bunch of, like, a billion different algorithmic processes on each photo is what Craig said, right? Like a 11 billion, actually. 11, 11 times 11. Okay. 11 billion algorithmic processes and you can type in dog and they all pop up. Like, are people really that interested in typing in dog and finding all the photos of their dog? Like maybe I'm wrong. I, they could be. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously they are. If you want to search for <laughs> photos of your dog now, if you haven't you know, pre-created a folder and been filing things there or, you know, using any kind of organization system like that, there's actually no easy way for you to 
find photos of your dog or if you want to find photos of that dog that you remember but you can't really recall what it looked like and you want to show your friend and blah 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 rather than scrolling for three years to get to that photo you can just search yeah i I guess it sounds cool i just it was really cool when google did it so it's not like it's new but but google photos hasn't taken off though has it like is everybody using google photos yes in short yes okay see there we go like i okay see i i don't i don't know i don't interact i haven't even tried it i haven't even looked at it let alone and i and i'm like fairly in the know i don't know anyway uh clearly i'm not in the know uh, that i should you know predicate that with anyway there that's my two cents with it i <laughs> well for what it's worth i also don't feel like these new announcements when it comes to search and and you know all the intelligent features that they've built into photos. Uh, I think they are, on one hand, they are too advanced for 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 most people. Like, most people are just not going to care that much. And, and the ones that do care, uh, I think they are going to be a minority. Because I am the kind of person, for example, that I probably could use many of those features. But like Josh said, I am just never going to put my entire photo library into Apple's Photos app. It, I, I'm just... I just won't. I, I don't I don't know if the answer for me is to keep them in Lightroom or to use a separate, you know, files and folders uh, method to sort my pictures or whatever. But yeah, I still don't think I feel comfortable with using photos as my primary library of pictures. And I, I don't think the announcements that we saw yesterday changed that in any way. Right. But again, we have to remain cognizant of the fact that these announcements are not really pointed at us and especially these ones right oh no absolutely 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 like i said it's it's interesting for the people who who will use them yeah it, it, they are very useful features but i'm just skeptical of how many people are there that will take advantage of those i'm not i'm not really sure right it's like the editing module on the iphone or the ipad right now like in within photos like you can hit the edit button in the corner and you can change some stuff like I feel like it'll be kind of pushed to the side as a feature like that in in the short in the long run. Like I, I mean, I don't know that many people who edit their photos in Apple's Photos app. They edit them in ViscoCam or they edit them in Instagram or wherever, uh, Darkroom or whatever they're called. Like yeah, but this is this is a different category of problem, right? Because even even editing as a concept is something that relatively few people do. But searching for photos is something that almost everybody will do at some point or other. And so right. that's why that's why I think the importance of this feature goes way above gimmicks and way above any editing features as well. Like that, like you said, I mean, most people that I know casual users they don't use the editing features in the photos app they don't even know they exist it doesn't matter it's irrelevant to them right but searching for photos trying to find something that they took a picture of to show people i watch this happen all the time and it hurts me to watch people look for photos when they're trying to show me something because they'll open their photos app (laughs) and they'll be like scroll 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 and i can have like two conversations with other people make a sandwich and fly to spain in the time it takes them to find the photo and it's not even most people i know have 16 gig iPhones and their list just stops about a hundred photos down. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, see, so but my <laughs> that's point, a good my point, point is, actually. <laughs> that's another storage <laughs> angle, right? Like, uh, but still, I, I'm just saying, like, I think search in general is a much more important feature to a lot more people, and that's why the fact that they've made it so good um, 
is is great. And the fact that they've done it without compromising privacy is even better. And it's very it's very Apple. I didn't actually expect yeah, that they'd yeah. be able to do this. I figured Google Photos is an example of the kind of service that Google will always do better than Apple. And so it was kind of nice for me to see that, you know, here at WWDC, Apple turns around and says, hey, well, we built the same thing, except you don't have to give us all your data. So ta-da. Okay, so to bring it back to a layman term, I'm not gonna lie to you guys, my internet's not good enough to upload the amount of photos necessary to make Google Photos worthwhile. And this is like the biggest check mark in the box. When I go to look at a keynote and they have all these online services, you know, like my home internet, there's no promise it's gonna be better for the next five years. It's gonna be what it is right now and it's really, really bad. And you know, the moment that I start uploading a whole pile of these photos to Google Photos, um, my my entire like house shuts down not the house you know what i mean but yeah, like yeah, everything yeah. like connected yeah. it shuts down and so like you know I, I just i can't possibly rely on all these online services to be able to do things and this is what i th- this could be the only area where i'm pumped about apple's um changes to photos this is the fact that i'm just making sure but that 11 billion processes that happens in the phone like that that's clear right that happens on the phone not like in icloud photo library as far as my understanding goes yes all of the actual processing happens on the phone right so like that is to me i think the single biggest feature is that this stuff doesn't need a connection to work well you still need to upload all of your pictures to icloud for it to be useful why i mean I don't. I don't upload any of them. I'm not understanding exactly why. Well, if you want to use it for all your pictures, then they're not going to be of any use on the iPad or the iPhone if you don't have enough storage for them. So they need to be on iCloud. That was the only... Yeah, as soon as you you switch on iCloud Photo Library, it starts to automatically manage your storage, which means that it will upload everything to iCloud and then only keep local copies of as much as it can so that you effectively have an infinite amount of space available for photos, which is the goal, even on devices with small storage. But that's still capped by your plan though, isn't it? It is. Yeah, of course. Right. So one terabyte is the biggest you can get. Yeah. So like for most people, realistically, even if you've got a really amazing internet connection, like even one terabyte isn't that much. I I don't know. At the end of the day, um, I... This is probably why I stick to my Mac and, you know, and I'll never, I won't use an iPad for the foreseeable future, even though that affinity photo uh, preview thing makes me really want to. Um, But the fact is that Apple is moving forward, you know, on device. And I'm really, that part excites me. I, I I will admit this part, that was probably the best part about the photos part. I didn't, you know, I was, I was yawning (laughs) and then I snapped awake when they said on device. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, <laughs> that's a problem that affects um, any, anyone who's got uh, a subpar internet connection, and which is still probably like half the world, realistically. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's a problem that I think is not really uh, like it, it's it's true whether you adopt Apple, whether you adopt Google, whether you, like whatever your ecosystem of choice is. So much of it is increasingly cloud based that it's very difficult to take advantage of all of these great features if you are limited by your connection speed or your bandwidth or both, uh, you know, especially for uh, countries like um, the US and Canada, where ironically enough, we have some of the worst internet in the world in terms of uh, price to performance (laughs) ratio. It's just nightmarish. How funny is that? Um, Not funny at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I guess every major tech company in the world long ago made their peace with the fact that if you want these flashy new features to work, 
uh, it's just going to require people to have decent internet connections. And yeah, they sort of have to push the envelope, right? And and I think the exactly. only the only company that's really making a, a, a tremendous effort to to remain useful to more limited internet connections is actually Facebook. Um, they've been doing a lot of work to optimize for poor connections. They've gone so far as to create a separate app for um, poor connections. Um, you know, their whole AMP project, or not AMP, their Facebook Instant Articles project uh, is in the service of the same goal. So that that's kind of an interesting um, play on their part. But either way, you're you're absolutely right, Josh. I think if you if your connection is not great, then a lot of these services will suffer. Well, it's still early days. I mean, we still have to see how well the the Apple approach works in the real world. True. Yeah. It may it may test well and demo well in their lab, but people have way 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 uh, more pictures than than app even Apple can anticipate. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, but the fact that they can even tackle this technology on device is great. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm and I, I readily admit that I'm absolutely the wrong person to to judge the the usefulness of this service because search is just never I, I never search for pictures because I, I guess it's just the way I'm used to to handling files and folders and everything that I do on a computer. I just I just know myself and I would rather spend five minutes scrolling through a list of pictures than than just search for it in a in a text form it's just the way that i do things and i realize it's wrong but i can't help it (laughs) i don't think it's wrong i think it's a habit right it's just it's a habit i mean i was the same yeah yeah absolutely and and that's why i think this is why google photos made such a splash and i encourage you guys to try it at some point if you can because it's freaky how good it is right and it's like you you perform searches to stump it, things that you assume it can't do, and then it does them. <laughs> um, and that's, I think that's why people actually adopted it. Because unlike early Siri and things like that, where people were excited about the idea, they were like, oh, I can just do this and it'll work. Uh, and then it doesn't work. Um, Google Photos came out and worked right off the bat. And so right. it did get a lot of traction. And I do know a lot of people who adopted it um, alongside or instead of iCloud Photos library specifically because of those extra features, right? It's not, I mean, it's still just a container for all your photos, um, but this feature alone is the big differentiating factor. So the fact that Apple brought that back home is important for them because otherwise they were going to lose a lot of people. But here's an important difference. Here's an important difference between the two. Uh, Since Google uses server infrastructure to refine the search process and to improve its intelligence, it's progressively getting better as people use it more and more. How is Apple doing the same thing if every computation is done on your device? Like the only way that they could improve it is with every OS update. Because if they're not getting any information from your pictures, then how can they improve the search process? So I I can't help but think that Google's approach is always going to work better in the real world because it's just learning a whole lot faster. The difference is kind of geeky because the on-device part is the computation. So that's what Apple does on-device. But the actual learning is server-based. It's just not as invasive as Google's version. So they, the, the term that they coined for it is called differential privacy. Actually, they didn't coin it. It's a it's an existing term. And like it's going to take me a minute to really nerd out if you want to know what it is. But basically they... Oh, yeah, by all means. All right. Okay, I warned you. Um. Okay, so in in statistics and data management, you've got this concept of of differential privacy, which is essentially the the goal of it is to try and take 
to glean as much information from a data set as possible while learning as little as possible about any individual data point. And the way that it works is different from other systems where you take those raw data points and then you try and anonymize them. Because what we found is that there are lots of ways to de-anonymize that data, right? So when you take right. um, your your preferences for something or your you know email data and then you try and scrub any identifying factors from it, when you look at that data, you can cross-reference it with other stuff and re-identify the original person. Yeah. So this whole concept of differential privacy works without that being possible, basically, because you're never taking that original data and anonymizing it. It's always anonymous data. You just happen to find ways to pull useful aggregate data out of it. Um, and it's it's really quite a complicated thing, and I'm not doing a great job of explaining it, but the, the concept is, and the, the reason I bring it up here is because Apple is using server-side technology to make this work. They are using neural nets to make this learn and improve without them having to issue software updates. It's just the way the technology works is less of a privacy compromise, basically, than the way Google's does. So there will always be a difference, but it's not as vast as if they were doing everything on device. Well, I mean, I absolutely understand that there is a profound difference when it comes to privacy, but I... I'm worried that there will also be a difference when it comes to performance and to how good the algorithm is. Yeah, yeah, and that's, like you said, it's something we have to wait and see, basically. Yeah, exactly, and Apple might be able to close the gap substantially by using this differential privacy technique that you just described, but I'm skeptical that it will be as good as the way Google does it. And Google also has a head start, which is important. Yeah, of course. And it doesn't need to be as good. It, it only needs to be good enough, I guess. So that's yep. also a factor. But yeah, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, there's also the convenience advantage, right? Because um, the, the way that iCloud Photos library works, it always has priority versus Google Photos on an iOS device. So even if Google's algorithms are better, even if it's you know yeah. overall a better service, it's not going to work as well on an iOS device, and that will always be an advantage in Apple's favor. I mean, that's why they like controlling the the whole setup. Unless, unless this whole unbundling of the system apps applies to the Photos app as well. Dun dun dun. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Mic drop. Because that's a, that's a big announcement, and and. I was surprised. I, I thought they would never do such a thing, but yeah, they did. It's pretty crazy that they snuck that bias without mentioning it on stage or putting it in a slide or anything like that. Um, it was actually announced, or not announced, but uh, I somebody sent me a message about half an hour before the uh, the keynote started. They said, look, take a look, Apple or mail by Apple, and you could go to the iTunes uh, App Store page yep. and download it. So anyway, right. it was actually done ahead of the keynote. Yep, it was uh, it was wow. a surprise. Um, unfortunately, it it's really not clear at this point what the um, consequences will be in terms of uh, replacing those apps. Because for some of them, like Apple has a support page up where which kind of talks about what happens when you remove certain apps. Like I think the weather app, they're like, okay, that widget won't work anymore, or this, uh, you know, if you remove the calculator, then that disappears from the uh, control center and things like that. Um, but that doesn't really sound like the kind of consequence that leads you to have a default that you can choose, right? And that's what everyone wants. Right. They want to say, I'm going to uninstall your stock mail app, and then I'm going to use Spark instead, or Inbox instead, or uh, Outlook instead. Um, but it looks like that's not the case. And in the current beta, 
um, if you uninstall the mail app and then you try and access a mail to link, it will actually tell you that you can't and that you have to reinstall the mail app. It doesn't say, oh, well, right. you know, choose your <laughs> your favorite mail app. Um, so that might just be something that's that might just be something that's, uh, you know, a beta thing where they haven't built that functionality yet. So for now, it's kind of janky, but it could also just be that they don't have any intention of making defaults available, in which case the f- ability to remove stock apps is kind of just a decluttering thing, which is dumb, but I mean, it, it, it could go both ways. Yeah, that would, but it would be a pretty terrible user experience. Yeah. And I mean, they have to know that, so... Um, but you did mention Affinity Photo, and I feel like oh, yes. I feel like we got to talk about that because that was just so impressive. Someone tweeted um, at me earlier today um, a, a video that was put out by Affinity, and it's kind of a preview of their Affinity Photo app running on the iPad. Um, we, we've mentioned Affinity before. Their their uh, Serif is actually the name of the developer, um, but they, yeah. they make Affinity Photo and Affinity um, Designer, and these are two very powerful, very impressive Mac native apps for um, obviously digital design and photo manipulation. And they're bringing all of their tools to the iPad. uh, Well, to iOS is what they said, but I assume the iPad in 2017. Um, And the impressive part is that they're doing so with feature parity to their Mac counterparts. So it's not a slimmed down version like Lightroom for mobile or things like that. It's actually like a full port of the technology into an iPad capable interface, like a touch oriented interface. That's amazing. And this is the first glimpse that we've seen of what that might look like. And I, I mean, I was blown away. I, I don't know about you guys, but I was like watching this going, wow. Yeah. Like it was really, really impressive. And the, the, to see not just that there, that the app works, but just the amount of complex edits that you can do, it's just mind blowing. I mean, if it performs, half as good as the video seems to suggest, it's going to be awesome. Like the way he manipulated those massive, massive uh, photos. How, how big were they? 350 uh, megapixel images that he was just like, yeah. like pinching and zooming and just like boom, done. And 60 frame per second animation with those size images. Like that's ins- my computer cannot even open images that big. And I think he said like performance is equivalent to a 12 or 16 core Mac or something like that. Yeah. It's insane. Like I literally wow. now, it turns out my iPad is more powerful than my computer, which is sad, but it's, it's also very impressive. But how can they do that? I mean, the, the processing power of the device is what it is. It's like, true. But how can they extract so much power out of a an ARM chip. I mean, it's, I don't understand how they're doing it. I mean, it's, it's either magic or they're just really good, <laughs> really good coders and they're not bringing my money is on magic. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> they're, they're not bringing across the cruft of older, uh, of older versions and of older operating system support and things like that. Right. Cause that's, that's what, that's what gets in the way of uh, companies like Adobe and, and people like that who are unfortunately, uh, you, they've been at this for a very long time. So they've got a lot of legacy stuff in the code that holds it holds it back. Yeah, here's the elephant in the room again, which is that uh, feature parity seems to imply that raw files will be supported. That seems, yeah. Because it, if they aren't, then it's not feature equal with, yep. with the desktop version. But if we play devil's advocate here for a second and pretend like that raw is not supported then everything kind of makes more sense because all those edits applied on jpegs would be a lot lighter on the on the processor 
But I don't think that's the case, honestly. I don't think that's going to be the case because the specifically the dynamic range demo that they include in the video where they pull the shadows a whole lot. There's a picture of a book. I don't know if you guys remember which one I'm talking about. Yep. Yeah, I know the scene. Yep. You can only do that with a raw file. Yep. I don't think you could ever do that with a JPEG. So yeah, it's it's looking very promising, definitely. I don't know if you guys have used Affinity Photo on the Mac, but their um yeah. their image processing engine in general is is very impressive. Like what they can do with JPEG files is actually very cool. So that might be a JPEG in the demo, but I agree with you. I think it's probably raw. Either way, though, a 350 plus megapixel image, even in JPEG format, would bring my computer to its knees, let alone raw. So either way, I'm impressed. But I do. And you own a Mac Pro. And I own a Mac Pro. I mean, it, granted, it's a 2008 Mac Pro, but it's a Mac Pro. Like it, it struggles. <laughs> so the fact that my iPad can now handle that is uh, is tremendous. Um, the only thing is that we have to wait until 2017 to get our hands on it, which is is awful because now I'm going to watch this video every day and it's going to make me sad. <laughs> All the good stuff's coming in 2017. Uh, it's always the way it is. I think I was most, I was <laughs> pumped about the fact that there's, they have a demo of the Apple Pencil editing photos. I don't know why Lightroom, Mobile, or any of these other options haven't you know, implemented Apple Pencil support. I yes, I rant. I don't know. I don't know. I don't get it. It seems to me like a very natural progression. You know, you have the the mouse, the the mouse pointer, and that's what makes your edits in Adobe Lightroom on the Mac. So why wouldn't the pencil be just the obvious choice on the the mobile counterpart? I don't get it. Well. My humble opinion is that the level of precision that the Apple Pencil makes possible when editing pictures, it's something that I would guess only makes sense with raw pictures as well. Like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Marius, because you have way more experience than either Josh or myself, but it just seems like you need that extra level, that, that extra data that the raw file gives you in order to be able to perform such precise edits on a picture and maybe just the, the, the guys uh, at Adobe just felt it wasn't worth it to implement the support until the raw file uh, support was was built into the the OS I don't know I you know what I'm not sure that that's the case because for example uh, my my biggest use case for this would be localized adjustments in which case you know like a little bit of dodging and burning which has nothing to do with raw really i mean i the, the amount of dodging but you don't really need, you don't really need the apple pencil for that like any stylus will do yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you really need a really precise edit, that's where the Apple Pencil comes in. Well, it's not just that; it's also the pressure sensitivity, right? Like if flow, yeah. if flow or opacity is is um, attached to uh, pressure, then that makes more sense. And yes, of course, you can do it with other uh, styluses, but you can't do it with the same level of palm rejection. You can't do it with the same level of pressure sensitivity, and those are all things right. that I think would be valuable. And even something like in. Um, in Pixelmator, where you're trying to select, uh, I forget what they call the feature, but the thing where you can erase things from a scene. Sometimes you're trying to like really zoom in and erase a very spindly thin lamp post or something like that. <laughs> and for that, it's it's really handy to have that level of precision. And a fat finger is not going to cut it. It just doesn't. It's not the same. It doesn't feel as good. So yes, I absolutely think that. Um, more photo apps should be implementing pencil support because it's great. And even if it's not like unique or required or anything like that, why not have it if it's there, right? Like the APIs are are open, they're there. People have these tools. So 
you know, allow us to use them. Like it's yeah. Well, there's there's a matter of just how much development development effort is needed to implement it. Yeah, and that's where I think that's where I think the the rub actually lies is that it must be very difficult to do a proper Apple Pencil implementation. And that's probably why we've seen a lot of the apps, including Pixelmator. Um, I don't remember which podcast it was that I was listening to where they were discussing um, the development of, of Pencil support with the developer of the app. Um, and they were saying that it is quite complicated and that they've been refining it uh, on an ongoing basis. And they've they've come a long way right. even from when they first implemented it because they're learning a lot more about how it works and you know what kinds of tricks that they can use to uh, get around some of the inherent limitations and so on and so forth. So I, I do understand that it's difficult, but we've had enough time with it now that I would like to see uh, pencil support showing up in more apps. Well, we might be reading a little bit too much into this because, to be fair, uh, Adobe doesn't have the best track record when it comes to adopting new Apple technologies. That's true too. So that's that's probably the, the simplest explanation is that, that it, it's just they haven't had time to get around to it yet. Because being such a huge company, they have their their uh, roadmap planned so long in advance that that they they probably just said, "Well, we'll get around to it when we when we get around to it," you know. So yeah, yeah, and that's fair. I mean, either way, the the preview was very compelling, and it's kind of a benchmark because I think this is the first um, video or, or preview or anything that I've seen of an iOS app that is truly professional in scope. Um, with maybe a few, certainly in the photography realm. Um, and, and that's exciting yeah. because I, that's what I was calling for the, the last time we were talking about um, iOS in general. Uh, I just want more developers to take the platform seriously. Like you've, you've clearly got the computational horsepower. You've got a good user base of people who, even if right now they don't consider the iPad part of their professional workflow, they have a professional workflow that the iPad could contribute to if only the software were there for them. And I think that there's a lot of demand there and, and it's this sort of pent up energy. People would be excited to try it out um, if only that, you know, they could. So I'm, I'm glad to see some developer at least putting in the effort to make a serious app that happens to be iOS based. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Guys, it's like an hour conversation already. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> oh, by the way, we're going to just have a normal normal length episode. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we did get we get we got through like most of the big we stuff. We did. Yeah, yeah. All of the photo related announcements, at least. I think so. it was really good. Josh, do you want to tell us about how you hate everything else that they announced? Um. Well, I don't know. I I, I really don't want to get destroyed. <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. So. I've said this over and over, but like there are on a day to day basis, I take my MacBook, my sweet, awesome 12 inch MacBook. Now I take it to the office and, you know, I sign on at the beginning of the day and I like to message people and email people and use Slack. And then occasionally my phone will ring. Right. And I'll have to answer the phone. And guess what doesn't happen? I can't answer my phone through my Mac. I'm supposed to be able to, but I can't. Um, I have to use airmail because you know, Apple Mail on the Mac sucks. Um, I have to use AirMail on my iPhone because, uh, you know, Apple Mail on the iPhone sucks. Um, half the time that I try to send, you know, like a, a green bubbled message, well, it's referred to it as that, like an SMS. You know, I try to send it on the Mac because it's faster to type than it is type on my iPhone. Right. Um, like, 
you know, nine times out of 10, I have to open up my iPhone, go to that person's message, you know, and actually type in like a fake message just to kind of like refresh the line between my Mac and my iPhone. You know, they're running the, the latest software, the internet at the office is, well, it's better than at home, but like, why does that stuff not work? Why do, why is AirDrop always like, it's always crappy. I can never get it to work. So there we go, rant over. I just don't understand why we're pumping all this money and time and investment and blah, blah, blah into messages and making invisible ink and having balloons flow across the screen. And like, <laughs> I would really like it to just work, you know? Okay. <laughs> okay. But I tell us better, what you guys. really think. <laughs> I, I feel a lot better already. <laughs> I just, that's what it comes down to is I, I get that the features need to be there because... Marius, you pointed it out, and I get that. You know, Facebook Messenger is growing like bananas, and like WhatsApp is huge. And WeChat, they brought this up. I don't even know what WeChat is. And there's a bunch of Chinese options that like a tons of people use across the world. So I get that they that there's a far bigger audience than me. I just like I just wish that there was more. Maybe there is more time being spent in fixing this stuff. And maybe once I install everything, it'll be back to working. But, you know, I was promised that for the current version of macOS, the current version of iOS, and it still doesn't work. In fact, every single time I update, it only makes it worse. You know what else bugs me? I can't, like, talk through my car with my iPhone. Why would that be? Is it the car or is it the iPhone? Wow. I actually blame the iPhone because, like, anyway, the, all those things bug me. And I, I just... I just wish that they like did another snow leopard for all of their services. And that would just, that would really relieve a lot of the stress that clearly is pent up inside of me right now. <laughs> no, but that's a really fair point because the experience, the advertised experience, uh, how many people are getting that? Right. And, and how many people are getting something more similar or maybe halfway through to what you're experiencing right. without a doubt like there's some people who have it great like mg siegler on twitter the other day asked about airdrop and a bunch of people complained about it just like i am right now and he says it you know it, that caught him off guard because airdrop always works for him marius who said the same thing just yesterday it always works for you uh and and like i'm jealous i'm so jealous like i just wish like for once yeah. that it would work because then i don't have to go find a usb stick and now find my usb c hub to plug my usb stick into the macbook and oh yeah and the problem <laughs> is that apple doesn't really have the tools to even be aware of the problem because even if only 0.01 of their users are experiencing problems that statistically that's really good that's amazing but that's a lot of people at the scale apple's apple operates at yeah right it doesn't it's not a headline feature and at the end of the day they're right now like they're so driven by business right like everybody is worried about that stock price no but it's not it's not even about the business it's about really seriously it's a technical problem like if only percentage wise it's a really really small number of people but uh once your user base grows uh, big enough Right. Even that yeah. small percentage amounts to quite a big right. number, you know? The only, yeah, and the thing maybe that I, I, I can't extrapolate my, ex, my experience to the rest of the world. Like, I don't know what it's like across the world, but I just have to, I can't help but feel like I live in, like, Canada of all places. Like, it's not like I live in a third world country. So, like, how would they ever, you know, is the experience the same in in a different part of the world and if it is the same you know is it worse like i would right I, 
You know what I mean? Like, well, at this point, Marius is probably just dying to tell you to move to Toronto. So I'm just gonna save him the trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe he didn't step in already. You stole my thunder, man. Not cool. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there, there. That that was my thought. Was you know. Um, the the watch stuff oh my like i i actually want to get a watch for the first time i thought it was just a joke up until like yesterday when the the keynote happened and they got that out of the way in the first five minutes and i went wow you know like i feel afraid of buying the first generation apple watch like now a year after it's been announced i'm probably still gonna wait but this like gives me quite a uh, you know good firepower to uh to get the the newest Apple Watch when it comes out, right? Um, and iOS has got a lot of these like these features are cool. You know the uh, the new unlock screen and and uh, these new widgets and interactive notifications. Like this stuff is like legitimately awesome. I, I just want it to work, and I'd actually I honestly don't trust Apple to make it work. I, I don't think that it will. It's it's interesting. There's there's this anxiety that I'm picking up on a lot in uh, the tech press and in people like us. You know the the geeks. Um, they're really, really anxious about how equipped Apple is to handle all of the service side stuff that they've um, begun to tackle as a company. And there's a lot of um, negativity and I think it's well justified. Um, now, in in my particular case, yes, AirDrop works very reliably for me. And in fact, I use it almost every day for one thing or another to send files around between my phone and a laptop or vice versa. Right, because your Mac doesn't support it, does no, it? No, my Mac doesn't support it, but my... Mine doesn't either. But, you know, Shannon's Mac does. Um, our, our other partner, Hannah, she also has a, the latest um, MacBook Pro. And so... Between their computers, it works fine. Between my iOS devices and their computers, it works fine. You know, Shannon's iMac and my... Like, all of that works exactly the way that I would expect it to. And in fact, it's a lot faster than I would expect it to because even if I'm sending a big pile of photos, it goes pretty quick, which is great. Right. Um, but anyway, so I, I do understand that that is... Um, you know, I'm sort of getting the ideal experience there and a lot of people are not. Um, and if you're not, then obviously, how are you going to trust Apple to deliver on all of these other promises that require a certain level of service competency that they haven't really demonstrated that they can do? Um, but on the other hand, I don't think that it is uh, a black and white issue where adding features means they're not refining things. And this is um, what I was saying in Slack to you, Josh, the other day is that I don't think they could pull the snow leopard again. I'm not sure that they could um, get away with the, oh, uh, you know, we're just we're just polishing things this time around. Don't don't worry. No, they couldn't. There's too far too many people and far too much money involved. And it's not just that. But right now, the market is especially in the messaging sector. It's very, very um, explosive in its growth and in its uh, diversity of options. And I think that in order for them to maintain um, even a presence in that argument, they really had to push hard um, to build iMessage into a platform rather than just being an app on their phone. And they did that. I mean, that's that's exactly what they did. And that's why they spent so much of that whirlwind keynote talking about the ways in which messages are going to improve with iOS 10. So yes, like it doesn't really inspire a lot of confidence if you uh, are, are looking for reassurances that all of these other things work and all of the bugs that exist in their current shipping versions of these operating systems will be solved. Uh, that is kind of not addressed and that's not great. 
Um, but on the other hand, they're in a difficult position as a company where they really have to be building these features and deploying them. And unfortunately, the statistics are kind of in their favor because like Alvaro said, it's probably it's probably like a 0.1% kind of thing of people who are not having good experiences. And the rest of the people are very vocal, which is great because otherwise Apple doesn't really know about it. Um, because again, their, their stances on privacy mean that they're not exactly um, equipped with a wealth of diagnostic data that they can work with. And I think a lot of people um, probably say no to, you know, the anonymous system information collection thing that happens. I'll raise my hand on that one. Yep. Right. I, I don't send it. Yep. And so without that information, it's very difficult for them to... I guess I'm guilty then. Well, and it's not that you're guilty. It's just, you know, t- from a technical perspective, it becomes very difficult to diagnose these edge cases when they don't really have a way to access the data that they want without you sending it to them. Um, right, right. And a lot of people just don't do that. Like, you're not going to stop and say, okay, I'm going to find the logs. I'm going to send it to Apple. I'm going to explain what went wrong and they are going to fix my AirPlay issue. Like, you're not going to do that. Not even once. So, you know, I mean, I do that because I'm a loser, but most people don't. And <laughs> Easy now. Well, okay, since we're being honest, I have a confession to make. Uh-oh. I have never, ever, ever used AirDrop. Not even once. Really? Like, seriously. Oh. You- not even between iPhones or, or an iPhone and an iPad. Like, I just never. When it works, it's, like, awesome. It is a really cool feature. It, it Again, I'm I'm biased because it works for me and it's always been quite reliable for me. But even, you know, if you just give it a try, send some photos from one device to another, it's great. You know, it's... Right, but what's the difference between that and just messaging? Oh, it's much faster. Much, much faster. That's how I do it, by the way. I avoid AirDrop and that's... I go through the Messages app for what it's worth or I upload to iCloud Drive and then download via iCloud Drive. I even use Dropbox for that. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, that works fine, but try AirDrop because even sending like a multi-gigabyte file is way faster, way faster. Well, it has to be, right? Because it's direct networking as opposed to going through the cloud. Yeah, so it it makes all the sense in the world that it would be faster, but it just, I guess it's just because uh, since I cannot use it on either of my Macs, then... It just doesn't enter into my mind when that that I can use it on my iPhone and, and and I just don't. By the way, speaking of passing files back and forth between devices, how cool is the unified clipboard thing? Like it seems obvious. <laughs> oh yes. Can we just get a yeah. finally yes. for them doing that? I was so happy. I just about Absolutely. cheered. So freaking lootly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Alvaro is pumped. Honestly, though, it's such a simple sounding thing, but it's for like, sure it is. There are so many cases in a day where I want to just like paste a link that I've copied on my one thing to the other thing. And now I've got to open notes and paste it in there and then do the thing and open on the whatever. Try it copied. It's a great app. Copied. I know. I know. But I don't want to, you know, like outside of third party solutions, like let's let's just build it in. So I'm going <laughs> to end my whole rant on a positive note because I recently, uh, when I got this new MacBook, um, I needed to get a bunch of Jacqueline stuff from her old laptop onto the new one. And I thought, hey, you know what? Let's, iCloud Drive is built in. There's enough space on the free part for me to get all of her, the documents and so on. And I put them all into there and it worked flawlessly. And it was probably like, it's what, it reminded me a lot of the experience of what brought me over to Apple to begin with was like, it just worked. You know, you turned on the computer and it didn't like spin a thousand circles and heat up and blow up in your lap while you're waiting. iCloud Drive just worked. 
And since then, I've converted my entire Dropbox as much as I can. Like I share a lot of stuff with other people through Dropbox, but my personal stuff is all on iCloud Drive, as is Jacqueline's. Famous last words. Uh, yeah, just jinx it. I'm going <laughs> to knock on wood here. Um, and it works really well. The, there's a, the only hiccup that I run into, I would prefer... Um, I would prefer to be able to preview stuff in iCloud.com on a browser, like on a Windows-based machine, as opposed to having to download it and then look at it and then edit it. Like, a- Yeah, that would be great. Right, but how, how on earth is that not a feature already? Like... That's what I'm talking about. I mean, it'll happen. It, but, well, how, how long is it going to take them? Like they have had iCloud Drive for over two years now. Sure, but isn't Dropbox like okay? I'm not sure about this, but is Dropbox more expensive on a month-to-month basis for the amount of storage? They're almost all equivalent right now, pricing-wise. Um, the only real difference is that Google offers you much bigger tiers of storage. Um, but in, in terms of the actual options that they all offer, it's basically irrelevant which you choose from a pricing perspective. Okay. Okay. So bad argument. But either way, I um, I, I think that's my biggest the biggest step setback, I guess, to iCloud Drive. I don't like that part. But um, when they announced the little feature upgrades, like the fact that the desktop is now updated, I like I know it, that you know, like the unified clipboard, it's kind of like one of those no brainer things. Like I. I cannot stand sharing a, a computer with my wife because everything ends up on the desktop and I'm just like a perfectionist with my de- desktop and and everything's on there and it makes me go psychotically crazy. <laughs> and well, now like we can have, she can have her own separate thing and then all of that stuff sinks over and she doesn't have to think about it. And that part's great for her, right? Yeah. I mean, t- just to be fair here, I mean, Dropbox did not actually have working web previews for files for the longest time, right? Like it's, it does take time to build these features out and Dropbox has a huge head start. I mean, this is, this is their product, right? So, but it's Apple. It, yeah, it's Apple. Well, but before iCloud Drive was a thing, there was iDisk and, and there was, I mean, Apple has been playing with this feature, even if they've called it a bunch of different ways, but they've been playing with it for many years. I mean, it's not like this is new. Yeah. But, and again, this is, you know, I said this at the beginning of the episode, I, I have a feeling that the iCloud infrastructure has more advancements hidden um then like it, it just the, the stuff that they did announce about it make it I, I don't know it just doesn't seem to make sense that it would not gain some other capabilities as well that would just make the whole thing a little bit more robust than it is right now right um, and maybe they're just not ready yet like maybe the the full scope of what they'll actually be able to launch in the fall is unclear so rather than announce a bunch of stuff that won't be um, available yet they're just kind of solidifying what they can deploy um, with iOS 10 and macOS, and then that's what we'll, you know, get an announcement for later on. macOS, I love that. I do too, actually. And Sierra's not not bad either. I mean, I, it's okay. It's, it's okay, yeah. Sierra, Siri, it's kind of the same thing, right? That's the point. Yeah, I'm actually super proud of us because I, I don't think we ever said OS 10 in the entire episode. We always said macOS. So that's for it for it being like what 24 hours old. Yeah. That's a pretty good adoption rate. Or, you know, that, that's just three smart guys, what can we say? Yeah, it's, it's also pretty natural. I mean, I, I, to be honest, I'm very glad that they did it because it, I probably would have started calling it macOS inadvertently if they hadn't. Yes. I, I like the whole smart, good-looking guy argument better, but thanks. Yeah, yeah. no, 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 no. Just being modest, Josh, Canadian, remember? <laughs> no, not over here. <laughs> so, guys, I uh, here, here we go. I will change the topic here. I leave for uh, Europe in about... 
36 hours or so. I am coming up on a big tax deadline at the office, so work will be done soon. And then it's like vacation time. So I'm having a really hard time focusing at the office. And, and of uh, course, you're thinking about overhauling your entire gear checklist, right? Uh-huh, right, 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 yeah. Yeah, but when is that I, not the case? That's not it. It's, <laughs> I had done a really good job of ignoring it, thanks. You know, I, <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're, we're excited. I get to pack everything up. I'm planning on packing up everything tonight. Um, so I will give you guys a better idea. Hopefully like, you know, less than 24 hours after we get back about, you know, I'll give you like a, a perfect diagnostic usage report. How about that? This many seconds, this lens was sitting on my camera and this is the amount of times I hit the shutter button and blah, blah, blah. I am blah. super curious to see how you actually use the lenses that you end up taking with you and which one takes priority and how much yeah. switching you do. Cause I, uh, you know, I don't know how, how you work in general, but I, know <laughs> I that- don't know how I work either. <laughs> <laughs> I, I call me crazy, but I sense a bet coming. Uh, yeah, we could put, you guys can have that. I'm not, he needs to spend that money on lenses. <laughs> no, he, he can't participate. He, he has a conflict of interest. <laughs> he just needs to spend that money on lenses. That's I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> no. Okay. Fair enough. Yep. So anyway, I'll let you guys know. I'm pretty excited. Uh, but this will probably be the last time that I talk for a few weeks just because um, I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe hotel Wi-Fi in Europe is better than what I get here at home and then off we go. But uh, I'm not sure if I'll even have the time to, I'm not sure if I'll even have the time to talk, to be honest. You can snore at us a little bit so, on the air, you know. Yeah, yeah, jet lag, jet lag for three weeks. I'm so excited. Well, have a, have a really good trip. I mean, you're, you're definitely going to have to Thanks, man. dedicate an episode to the feedback afterward but you know go and enjoy and there's more to life than photography so absolutely yeah yeah just just europe and photography that's that's more to life right yeah yeah pretty much <laughs> okay well adios guys appreciate it have fun 